If, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to, uh, to Mark chapter 6. For the past couple of months, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark. And as you see from the, the slides behind me, the title of the series is Leave Your Mark. And so I've been doing these word plays all throughout this series. And the premise of this whole sermon series is that Jesus left His mark on the earth, on us, by coming and living a sinless life, by ushering in God's kingdom, by ultimately going to a cross, but most importantly, being resurrected and claiming victory for all humankind. Okay, and so Jesus left His mark that way. Now then, the author of this book, John Mark, he realized that the story of Jesus had not been written down. Paul the Apostle had already done all his work. He'd already written his books. But no one had taken the time to write down the story of the Gospel yet. And time was running out. Because the Neronian persecution was beginning to really heat up. And so John Mark realized there was an urgency, and so he undertook to write the story of Jesus. And so Mark leaves his mark by telling us the story of Jesus. We, in turn, as followers of Jesus, we leave our mark on society by following and living like Jesus. And the way we act the things that, that we do, the things that we say, the places we go or the places that we don't go. That's how we, that's how we leave our mark. And it's been pretty fascinating as we have worked through this material over the last several weeks to look at the encounters that Jesus has had. As He has dealt with all kinds of people who are dealing with, with sickness, that are dealing with oppression, that are dealing with demon possession. And He's encountered these people. And He has changed their lives. And His name and His fame has begun to spread. He has healed hundreds and hundreds of people along the way. And now the crowds are kind of flocking to Him. They want to know who this guy is. Is who this sort of this desert nomadic prophet, who he is, and what they've got to do to to get near him. All along the way, Jesus is ushering in something new, a new day. He is bringing in the rule of God's kingdom, something different, a kingdom that is about freedom, that it's not about being ruled and lorded over, that it's not about being oppressed, but it's about living at peace and in harmony with one another, serving one another. And so that's what we have been seeing as we've moved all throughout this text. And as we got into the beginning of chapter 6 last week, we saw that Jesus took His twelve, the apostles, and He commissioned them. And He gave them all His authority. And He said, I want you to go out and I want you to do the things that you have seen Me doing. 
And so they went out and did that. And remember, then Mark kind of throws in like a sidebar. And he tells us the story of, of John the Baptist. And how Herod had him arrested. And he liked John. He liked to hear what he had to say. Even though John was saying, look, you're a no good dirty sinner that needs to change your life. Herod kind of liked hearing that stuff. Okay? Well, then there's this great party. And Herod's grandstanding. And he's showing off for all of his friends. All of his, all of his cronies. When his wife, who he should not be married to, sends in her daughter to dance seductively and gets the attention of Herod, Herod stands up and makes this outrageous claim, Hey, whatever you want, up to half my kingdom I will give you. And remember, he didn't really have the authority to give away his kingdom because it's not really his kingdom. It's Rome's kingdom, okay? And Herod is just sort of the, he's like the puppet. He's like the, uh, he's like the regional manager, okay? Has no real authority, okay? But he says, whatever you want, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And so the girl goes and consorts with her mom who hates John the Baptist because, you know, she's a, a, a social ladder climber. And John the Baptist has said, hey, this marriage is no good. It's a sham. You've taken your brother's wife. It shouldn't be happening. And she realizes she's going to lose her position. She's going to lose the, the, the luxury, the good life, the little bit of power that comes along with being the, the tetrarch that Herod is. And so she tells Salome, go tell the king that you want John's head. And so she goes in there and she says, I want John's head. But not only that, I want it right now. And I want it brought to me on a silver platter. And Herod, well, at least he's a man of his word. If nothing else, kept his word and he had John beheaded. And he brings in the head and they, they place it before them. And then all of a sudden the story flashes back to the apostles. They come back home and now they're telling Jesus about what they've done. And we wrestled with why the stories kind of do this. Why the apostles first and then why this John the Baptist thing and then come back to the apostles. And the whole idea is that Mark is trying to say, look, if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, it ain't always going to be ice cream and roses. Okay, it's going to be tough. And so you need to be prepared for some tough times. Okay, it is not always going to be easy. And so now the disciples, they've come back and they've told Jesus what they're going to do. And Jesus knows they're tired. He knows they've been out just, you know, healing people and preaching and telling people about the kingdom. And he comes home and he tells them to rest. Verse 32 says, So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many people saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Now the notice... Notice verse 34. When he went ashore, talking about Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had, say that word with me, had compassion on them. Why? 
Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's a, that's a, that's a heavy statement right there. Okay? Now then, we've come to see the compassion of Jesus. Okay? And if you've listened to me for any amount of time, then you know compassion resides where in the body? It resides in the gut. Okay? You feel it in your gut. Okay? And it literally means to feel it in your, in your bowels, in your guts. It says that the gut is where the, the seed of compassion is. And so Jesus sees these people, knows that they're, they're wandering, knows that they're kind of lost, maybe not physically lost, but he knows they're spiritually lost. And so he's compassionate on them. And he says, they are like a sheep who has no shepherd. Jesus is doing his best to get some rest for these, these disciples. But as soon as they hit the beach, there's this crowd that they're looking for someone. They're looking for anyone who will, who will lead them. And I want you to think about that as we contrast Herod. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this. He says, think back through the story that Mark has just told us. Herod is off in his palace, probably far to the south of the Sea of Galilee, carousing with his cronies, winking at pretty girls, and beheading prophets. His henchmen are on the ground, are grasping bullies. Yet here are his people, desperate for leadership. And here is a young prophet to who they flock to. Is this, is this the king in waiting? That's the echo that we must hear behind this Behind this story. This is, the, and that sort of answers the, the, the question that Jesus is asking. Why does he say they are like sheep without a shepherd? Because their leader could care less about them. Okay? All he is concerned about is living the life of luxury. And so his people just kind of wander aimlessly and Jesus recognizes it. He says, these people are lost and they see something in Jesus that's different. They see something in him that says he cares about him. That he's concerned about them. That he is willing to go and lay his hands on people who are considered unclean. He touches the untouchables. He loves the unlovables. And that's good news for us. You know why? Because guess who we are? We're the untouchables. We are the unlovables. Okay? Anytime you see somebody in Scripture that is sort of marginalized, for the most part, you can always put yourself in that position unless self-righteousness is kind of your thing. Then you can go the other way. You can be the Pharisees. But for the most part, if you're not into self-righteousness, which I know none of you here are, then anytime there is a, a victim, there's somebody who's oppressed, demon-possessed, whatever it might be, broken, you know, something going on, then we that's who we're supposed to relate with. The point of view, knowing that Jesus is going to act on behalf of that person. 
Jesus is going to leave a mark, is going to leave a mark in their life. And so N.T. Wright says, is this, is this the king in waiting? And in a very real sense, the answer is yes. As a matter of fact, a few months ago, when we read this story from John's account, when we were talking about the, uh, the names of Jesus, or the, uh, the I am statements of Jesus, it said at the end of that story, the crowd was so mesmerized that they grabbed him and they were intent on making him the king. You remember that? Okay, so in some sense, yes, he was going to be the king, but he's not the kind of king that they think he's going to be. The king that they're expecting is the king that is going to come and free them from physical oppression from the Roman Empire. Going to come and kick Rome out. Jesus is going to sit on the throne. He's going to command. You know, Jerusalem is going to be command central. And Israel is going to now be the dominant force in the region. That's the kind of king they're expecting. That's not the kind of king Jesus is. Jesus could care less about ruling land. Jesus wants to rule your heart. And Jesus wants to rule their hearts. His kingdom is not one of brick and mortar. His kingdom is of the spiritual nature. Where God reigns, where God reigns supreme. So he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Now then watch what they say in verse 36. Send them away. So that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Now, we look at that, you know, we're out there, there's this massive crowd of people, there's, you know, no food around, it's just Jesus and the 12 disciples, and here's this huge crowd of people, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you know, it's getting kind of late, we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, we need to send these people away so they can go and eat, okay? Now then, when we look at that, we take a step back, that's pretty practical, Right? I mean, it's practical. It's late. They're a long way from home. They're out in the middle of the nowhere. The responsible thing is to dismiss the crowd so that they can go and find some food. And because there's no way that Jesus and these 12 guys can handle feeding this, this crowd. So they say, send them away. And there's a, a lesson there. Because a lot of times, that's what we as the church do. People come in need. People come in brokenness. People come hungry, both physical and spiritual. And a lot of times, we turn them away. We say, let's send them on because we just don't have the, the resources. You see, the, the need, and, and I know this because I've, I've dealt with this a lot. I mean, in 25 years of ministry, 
I've dealt with a, a lot of people coming and, and needing things. And, and I'll be honest, I'll be the first to say that sometimes the needs of people, it can be overwhelming. And when it gets overwhelming, I know the temptation to send people away and say, we can't meet needs. But here's the thing. If all we do as a church is point out the problems of society, then we're not really being the church. Did anybody hear that? I feel like I need to say that one again. If all we do is sit back and point out the needs and the problems of society, then we are not really being the church. Okay? We're not really doing kingdom work. All we're doing is saying, oh, that's, boy, that's too bad. Well, I sure hate that for you. Must be terrible. Hope things get better. Just hang in there. You ever said that? You know, nothing else, you know when you got nothing else to say, boy, just, just hang in there. Okay. Because that's helpful. I'll keep hanging. Don't know what I'm supposed to hang on to, but I'll just keep, keep on keeping on. Jesus' brother, James, had something to say about this. Suppose there is a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? That's also kind of like what Paul said. I can do all these things. If I don't have love, what's the point? Love is action. Love responds Okay, and what James is saying is, look, you can feel sorry for people all you want. But that's not going to do anything. That's not going to do anything. For anybody, you see. Just taking that approach right there, that is not compassion. Okay, that's not empathy. You know what it is? It's it's sympathy. Okay, uh, if you're familiar with Brene Brown, and if you're not, you should become familiar with her. She's an author, she's a professor uh, out at University of Houston, I believe, and she's brilliant. She has this great TED Talk, if you like TED Talks, that's kind of how she came to fame. But she's absolutely brilliant. And Brene Brown says that sympathy is seeing someone in, in a hole and saying, man, I'm sorry you're down in that hole. You want a sandwich? She says empathy and compassion climbs down in the hole with you and helps you out. You see, that's what we have to do if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ. I mean, if we're really serious about leaving a mark Okay? And remember, what's the kind of marks I'm not interested in leaving behind? Those kind of marks right there. I'm not interested in leaving seat marks, skid marks, any other kind of marks. <laughs> I want to leave Jesus marks. Okay? Gotta love a church where I can get away with saying that. 
Of course, the day's not over yet. I might get a phone call before we're done. Aren't you glad you visited with us today? We don't want to leave marks in the chair. That's no kind of legacy right there. We want to leave, we want to leave Jesus marks, okay? And so we have to get past sympathy of, oh boy, that's too bad, to, yeah, man, that is bad. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to help you out with that. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to try to help meet your, help to meet your needs. Now then, watch Jesus' response. He turns to the disciples, and specifically Philip, and he says, hey, you give them something to eat. Take care of it. You have recognized the problem. And that's, there's another whole, that's another old sermon right there. People will see a need in the church. They'll bring it to me or to one of the shepherds and say, we need to do this. And you know what my response is going to be? Hey, you go ahead, take care of it. God's given you that work. He's given you that vision. Go do it. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know I was going to have to do it. <laughs> Listen, if you're not willing to do the work, then don't bring the problem to me or the shepherds, okay? Because if you come to me with a ministry, I'm going to empower you to do that ministry, okay? And that's sort of how this whole church thing should be working, right? Okay, we work together. It's not like a hierarchy where somebody's the boss and the power we're one family, one body working together, okay? And so Jesus says, you give them something to eat, and that's the showstopper. You know, they look around, they see the crowd, they know they don't have those kinds of resources. They're tired from their, their mission trip, they want to rest, and all they see in front of them is this, is this impossible task. They said, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? A denarii was one day's pay for the average person. So this is about eight months worth of pay that it would take for them to just have a little bit, to just even have a bite. And their response, it's, it's also understandable. It's a, in, in our point of view, it's a practical response, yet they seem to be forgetting who it is that is telling them to do this. They have forgotten that just a few days earlier, Jesus said, oh, by the way, go and preach to people. Go and tell people the good news. Go and heal people. Go do everything you saw me do. You have the authority. Go do it. They have totally forgotten that he has empowered them to meet needs, to change lives, to leave, to leave marks. And so he gives them this task. You give them something to eat. Well, what should we do? The Apostle John in his epistle of John writes about this too. He says, how... Does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Boom. I mean, John's, you know, he's dropping that on us. 
Okay? How can you? How can you claim to love God when there's people around you hurting and you have the ability to do something about it, yet you don't? Oh, yeah, sorry, that's too bad for you. You want to claim that you have the love of God? Go show somebody the love of God. Go meet a need, whether it be physical or whether it be a a spiritual need. He goes on, he says, little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Okay, it's just like what we talked about a few weeks ago. Faith, love, those those have to be verbs in our life. Okay? Faith, just, you know, just intellectual assent, that's no good. Intellectual assent, feeling sorry for somebody. Oh, yeah, boy, that's too bad. I believe in God. Putting it into action says, yes, I believe in God, and I'm here as God's representative. Here is what God wants to do for you. Let me help you. Let me meet a need for you. Let me pray. Let me pray for you. You see, if we have and do not do for those who do not have, Well, it's pretty hard to claim that God's love is in us. That's a pretty heavy bomb that John drops on us. But there's so much truth in it. So Jesus takes over and he says, go see what you got. Well, here's a boy. He's got his lunch with him. He's got some fish. He's got some bread. Jesus says, okay, have him sit down in these groups, break them apart. He takes the fish. He takes the bread. He prays. He breaks it. He says, here, take it and distribute it to all the people. And they do, and they pass it out. And then they take over the left, they take up the leftovers, and it's 12 baskets full of leftovers. Okay? And there's 5,000 men in the crowd. Who knows how many uh, women and children are there? Okay? But there's 5,000 men at least in the crowd. So I'm guessing it's bigger than 5,000 men. Either way, 5,000 is a lot. And they take up 12 baskets full of leftovers, not to show that, that Jesus is like a hoarder and the disciples are hoarding this food, but to show and reveal God's glory that he can do greater than what we ask for or imagine. Okay? And so verse 42 says, everyone ate and was satisfied. Jesus met their spiritual needs in verse 34 when it says he began to teach them. And now he also meets their their physical needs. He is leading and he is feeding the sheep. So let's talk about some marks. First, the Jesus marks. Jesus is not concerned about our lack of resources. You hear that? Jesus is not concerned about that. Jesus is concerned with the depth of our faith to trust him to provide what we need to accomplish our mission. Okay? That's where Jesus gets concerned. Okay? Basically, I feel like he's saying, look, if if I'm going to give you a job, if I'm going to give you a mission, don't think I'm not going to unleash the riches of heaven to empower you to do that. Okay? Okay? Now, I'm not talking about name it and claim it and health and wealth or anything like that. I'm talking about meeting needs in people's lives. Okay? He doesn't care about what we don't have. 
He cares about how much faith we have in Him to do His work through us. In other words, He cares about us being a willing vessel. Being willing to go and being, being, willing, being willing to serve. So let's talk about leaving our mark. Jesus left His mark by meeting needs and calling us to join Him in His mission. I said a few weeks ago that I, I don't really understand that. Okay? Why Jesus, God, creator of the universe, would trust us with this project is beyond me. Why? Because we're human. Okay? And we've got different personalities. We have different temperaments, different makeup. We have different ideas. We have different backgrounds. We come from, from different educations. And yet Jesus says, yeah, here, take care of this. Come on, help out. Go and, and meet needs. Jesus left his mark by meeting needs, but not only meeting needs, by calling and empowering, really that should say as well, empowering us to help him in his mission. We leave our mark by accepting the challenge of filling physical and spiritual hunger and needs in others. Now, is that easy? Absolutely not. Okay? In fact, it's really easy to say, it's late. Why don't we just all go home? Or, we could trust Jesus and trust that if we pull together in faith, that God might provide everything we need. Doesn't Scripture say that? And my God will provide all your needs. Didn't Jesus say, seek me first? Seek God's kingdom first, and when you do, everything else you need will be given to you? It makes me wonder if we don't really trust God enough? Do we trust Him enough to empower us to do what He's called us to? If we're going to leave our mark, then we have to accept the challenge, which means accepting faith in Jesus. Do you see that? That's, that's what that means. Okay, and so that's, that's, that's the challenge of it right there. So here's some question marks right here. I've got three or four. When I encounter people, am I filled with compassion for them or something else? Compassion, and you know, this is, there, there's an understood people in need. Compassion motivates us to movement, motivates us to, to action, to, to get involved, to try to, 
change lives through the power of, of Christ. The second question, are there people that we know that are like sheep without a shepherd? Are there people that are just searching for something? And you know who they are. You know who they are because you've been who they are. You might be those people right now. Okay? People that are, are, are looking for something. They're looking for answers. They're looking for something to believe in and somebody to believe in them. Somebody to love them and accept them for who they are regardless of the mistakes they've made in their past. Chances are we all know somebody like that. And if you don't know somebody like that, then it's probably you. Okay? And if it is, I hope you'll look to Jesus as your, as your shepherd. When faced with a challenge, do I dismiss it logically or do I first trust God to provide resources and provisions? It's easy to do. It's easy to explain it away. It's easy to look at something and say, you know what, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough manpower. We don't have the resources. Our facilities aren't right. We don't have a van, whatever, yada, 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 excuse we can think of. Okay? Do we basically make excuses or do we trust God to provide? Okay, this is a challenge of faith. You realize this. When Jesus says, you give him something to eat, he's saying, hey, look, show me what your faith really is. Show me what you were doing. Okay, I've heard you say what you were doing. Now show me how you do it. Okay? They didn't really step up. We have an opportunity to step up and do that. And then lastly, am I willing to answer the challenge of Jesus to meet spiritual and physical needs where I am able? Now, recognize, not everybody can meet everybody's need, okay? But you can meet somebody's need, right? Was it uh, that Mother Teresa line, if you can't do for lots or many, do for one. Do for one what you'd like to do for a lot. Okay? If you can't do for a massive crowd, do for one what you would like to do for all. Okay? Are we willing to accept, are we willing to accept the challenge of Jesus? And then the last thing, as we talk about Jesus marks, here's the, the challenge. You, I don't know if you noticed, but the, the title of the message was the Jesus Challenge. Here's the challenge for all of us, not just you, but me too. Here's the challenge right here. Two things. Pray for God to send someone into your life this week that needs help. I guarantee you he'll answer that prayer. I promise you he'll answer that prayer and all he's going to do is like, be like, hey, dummy, just open your eyes. They're all around you. Okay, that's what he does for me all the time. Okay, just open my eyes. Give me eyes to see. Because there's always people around us that have needs, right? That hurt and are broken. And the second one is this. 
do your best through God's provision to meet their spiritual needs, uh, to meet their needs, whether it be physical or spiritual. Okay? If you need help, recruit some help. Okay? You don't have to go it alone. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. Okay? You don't have to be a lone ranger. That doesn't work anyway. All right? This is a tough message, right? But I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this Mark stuff, this leaving your Mark stuff, none of this has been easy. Have you noticed that? This Christianity thing is not easy. It calls us, and the reason why it's not is because it calls us out of our own selfishness. That's why it's not easy. Because it calls us to love people first. To put others' needs first. That's, that's the Jesus challenge. So I want you to pray that way this week. Pray that God puts somebody in your life who is in need. And then pray that you'll trust Him enough to do your best to meet those needs in whatever way you can.